Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Welcome to It's Time to Audit, Every State, Every Election. Please welcome Cully Stimson, Senior Legal Fellow and Deputy Director in the Heritage Foundation's Mies Center. Well, welcome to Heritage, uh, to those of you here in the audience and the people who are, are joining us virtually uh, around the country. With the election uh, less than three weeks away, it's important to remember that it is essential to preserving our democratic republic that we have secure elections in which every citizen who is eligible to vote is able to cast a ballot. And that vote is not lost or avoided or stolen due to errors, mistakes, technology failures, or fraud. Uh, we need to ensure at least three things. One, all applicable laws and regulations that apply to voting are complied with. Two, public taxpayer funds are properly spent on the administration of the election. And three, that election officials take all the steps necessary before, during, and after the election to guarantee the integrity of the entire process from when an individual first registers to vote to the final tabulation and results being officially certified and announced to voters, candidates, and the media. We want a process in which when it's over, everyone agrees, even the candidates who lost and their supporters, that we had a fair and honest election. So how do we do that? That's the question today. And it begs a question. Are comprehensive election audits a way to achieve that goal? In-depth audits of elections are almost non-existent. Yet in-depth financial and accounting audits uh, are standard practices in the rest of America with businesses, charities, and many other organizations. Heritage has published a new study explaining this issue, available online. It's called Best Practices and Standards for Election Audits. I encourage you to read it or download it. Today we have three experts uh, with us to discuss uh, this very important question. Uh, the Honorable Senator Paul Betancourt is a graduate of Texas A&M and the president and That's CEO called of a, a, whoop, sorry. a tax consulting company. <laughs> he has been in the Texas Senate since 2014, representing Senate District 7, right. which encompasses most of West Harris County and parts of Montgomery County. He chairs the Senate Committee on Local Government, serves on the Finance, Education, Criminal Justice, and State Affairs Committees, and has won numerous awards for his work as a legislator, including the Legislative Legacy Award from the Texas Public Policy Foundation, uh, the former home of our president uh, here at Heritage now, uh, Dr. Kevin Roberts. Before he moved to Texas, to the Texas legislature, uh, Senator Betancourt was the tax assessor collector for Harris County. I'm sure that was a very popular position, which includes most of Houston for 10 years. Right. In Texas, that is the county official responsible for voter registration and other elections. It was only popular because I was for a tax cut at the time. <laughs> Go tax cuts. You got it. And he was very busy there cleaning up the voter registration of dead voters and felons who were ineligible to vote as well as finding aliens who were illegally registered to vote. Since he has not only run for election, he has administered elections, uh, which gives him a lot of insight and experience on how to improve the election process. We welcome you uh, to Heritage. Apparently you have a motto. It's what gets measured gets fixed. Absolutely. So he was the primary author of the Texas Senate Audit Bill, as well as one of the first joint authors of the Texas Election Reform Bill, which was titled SB1. Next to Paul is Chad Ennis. Chad is one of the, Texas is one of the only states in the nation to have passed a law requiring audits of a set number of counties after every election. And the bill Senator Betancourt authored in the Senate. Chad Ennis is the first director of the brand new forensic audit division in the office of the Texas Secretary of State, uh, which is run by John Scott. 
So he is in the midst of creating the standards and practices that Texas will follow in conducting those audits. He was a senior fellow for election integrity at the Texas Public Policy Foundation before he moved to the secretary's office. He has been in private practice, but also was a federal prosecutor in Louisiana and an assistant attorney general in the office of the Texas attorney general. He received his law degree with honors from the University of Texas and an engineering degree from the University of Missouri. My colleague Hans von Spakovsky uh, also works in the Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies, where he serves as the manager of the Election Law Reform Initiative. He has three decades of experience in elections, both as a lawyer and an election official. He served on the Federal Election Commission for two years, was the counsel to the Assistant Attorney General for Civil Rights in the United States Department of Justice, and has served on county election boards in both Georgia and Virginia, responsible for administering elections in the two largest counties in both states. He's the author of numerous books, articles, and studies on election issues, and is a graduate of MIT and the Vanderbilt School of Law. So the format for today is that each of my colleagues uh, will give a short opening uh, statement or presentation. We'll go left to right here. And then we'll have a moderated discussion. Uh, and then we'll open up the floor to your questions. Paul, over to you. Thank you, Colleen. Um, my interest in audits really started when I was a tax assessor collector, and you wonder how we were involved. Well, because we, in the past, collected what was an abomination, which was the poll tax. Mm -hmm. So in Texas, the voter registrars were the, the tax assessor collectors, and the county clerks were the uh, folks that were administering the election. So I got into office and followed a, a person that had been in office 51 years and an odd number of months and days. He had gone to work for the tax office when Roosevelt was president, and that was Teddy. No, it was Franklin, not Teddy. Um, so office was very antiquated. Um, and we looked at the voter roll list, and we found there were 50,000 deceased and felon registrations on a list of less than 2 million. Um, we started trying to uh, call those off, if you pardon the pun. Um, and what we did was by sending out uh, confirmation notices, we got back notices from family members that uh, the person was registered, had voted in the 1990s, but had died in 1964. Hundreds of letters like that. Somebody was incarcerated in Huntsville, which is our main state prison. I went to the DA, legendary Johnny Holmes, with his handlebar mustache, and he said, Paul, that man is not voting in Houston, I can guarantee you. And he was correct. It was somebody else that was voting for him. There were 500 of those. Now, in the 2000 presidential election, if you remember, what was the margin of victory in Florida? 537 votes. You got it, because you might have been there. So, so Harris County, by itself, could have determined the fate of the national election because we had let people, uh, the, the voter roll go completely fallow. So what gets measured gets fixed. Clean that up. Uh, and, and that started uh, my uh, <clears throat> focus on voter roll integrity. Because if the voter roll has integrity, the election outcome is less likely to be contested. Um, I did uh, do some uh, did presentations up here in the House Administration Committee in the, in the decade following that, because I thought that photo ID was a way to solve a lot of problems if we could check a citizenship list, because most people don't know we don't have one in the United States. Solves a lot of problems and, and gets past a lot of arguments. When I get elected Senate, um, you know, this has always been an interest of, of mine to look at what's happening with the voter rolls, and we had a unique problem in Harris County that in October of uh, 2020, the early vote totals didn't match. And as a former election administrator, you could see the numbers. They weren't matching, and it was off by over 10,000. And I started asking questions. Then the Secretary of State started asking questions. But the newly appointed county clerk didn't have to answer and didn't. In fact, one night they changed the results, and then it still didn't match. So on the floor of the Senate, I used a complaint letter uh, that is pretty factual uh, and uh, from, a, from a lawyer, uh, Rachel Hooper Esquire, talking about how we knew there was 884 more votes on the county voter than the county voter roster. It means we had more votes than names. Now, that wasn't just Harris County because we went around the state and there were 1,300 extra uh, votes that didn't make the voter roll in Williamson County. 
in Wichita uh, County, Wichita Falls, Texas, there's a single family residence that had 579 people registered at it and 179 voted. I'm not really sure where the other 400 were, but they obviously missed the election, okay? Um, so it became apparent that as part of SB1 that we needed to have, first off, citizenship checks, which are in there, then also audit capability, which is what has launched the audit, the forensic audit division. And I'm not talking just a limited purpose audit. You have to get into the details. Uh, one of the more humorous details in, in, in my audit bill was if there's more votes in a precinct than there are registered voters, you have a problem. And we had more than a dozen of those <laughs> precincts. Now, what it all means is simply this. If you have an audit capability, you can find out what went wrong. See, in the swirl of the froth of national politics now, just asking a question can get you labeled a, an election denier. But you should be able to ask questions to get answers. When I was a voter registrar, I had to answer every question everybody came, they came to me. I had to say, why is this registration here? Why is it deleted? We need to get back to being able to do that. So. The, 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 the beginning of the forensic audit division is just a start because I think that we need to expand it, not just to random audits, but when, when there are clear issues in the field, you, you should be able to ask an election administrator, what's the truth, what's the facts, get an answer. If you're not satisfied, you're great. You make sure that you haven't missed an obvious detail and then give it to the secretary of state or whatever the chief election, elections officer is in any state the opportunity to say, that's it, we're gonna order an audit. Because you're right, in the business community, it, audits are ubiquitous, you live off them. You know, uh, and it's not just the, uh, the fact that they're, they're accepted, it's, a, it's an absolute must. So uh, I am uh, absolutely committed, and I know the Texas Senate is, has passed an upgraded version of the, uh, of the audit bill twice, and I, I can't speak for all my colleagues, but I believe that Lieutenant Governor also supports it, and I think we'll have a good chance to have even further work done in Texas. It's simple. What gets measured gets fixed. When you find a problem, fix it. Tell the public about it. Don't be ashamed. Don't get caught up in election denier you know, debates. Fix the problem, move on, and, and tell the public the truth about their election process. Thank you, Paul. Chad, you're in the catbird seat now. You're the guy. <laughs> Yes. Tell us about this experience. Congratulations. Yeah, be, be careful when you go uh, testify in front of uh, Senator Betancourt. He may create a job for you, uh, <laughs> and uh, you end up as the director of the audit division. Uh, but it was it's a very interesting challenge to start something like this from scratch. Uh, you know, the day I got there, you know, there weren't pens in my office. I had nothing. I didn't have a piece of paper to write on, uh, and not to mention a list of what I'm supposed to be doing. So I think we spent probably two, three months getting our arms around, you know, senators told us to audit. What does that mean? What can we look at meaningfully where we can help the process and we can make sure that the, the processes get better and problems are getting fixed? So in, what's interesting about that is Texas is, as you guys have probably heard, a big state. Uh, we have 254 counties and we have 254 ways of doing things. I think that's a strength. Uh, because Loving County with 100 voters is not the same as Harris County with 2 million voters. Uh, those are different. So they've got to do things differently. But from my perspective, when you get in my seat, well, what records is everyone going to have? Well, it gets a little different between what Harris County has and what Loving County, for example, has. I won't pick on Loving anymore or Harris anymore. Uh, so we really tried to get our arms around what are they required to keep, so what are we sure they should have? And then what are the folks doing also in the counties uh, records-wise that we can audit? And, you know, step one, step one in any of these audits has to be how many people showed up to vote and how many ballots do I have? That, that is step one. And it sounds really simple, but it's not. Because we don't just, in the old days, you walked in to the precinct, there was, a set, there was usually a book with names in it, they say, hey, there's Hans, yes, go vote, here's your ballot, put it in the box. That was it. Now we've got provisional voting. Now we've county got- Countywide voting. We've got countywide voting. We've got early voting. And countywide voting in Texas means, I have no precinct, really. I'm assigned to a precinct, but I can vote anywhere. 
and then that ballot is then credited back to my precinct. So now I've got to chase this ballot around the county to figure out where it's supposed to be credited. It can be done. It's not that hard, but it's a challenge, right, from a record-keeping standpoint. Uh, one of the other things we got really attuned to quickly is you know, how do we look at machines and satisfy folks that these machines are going through safeguards and, and procedures to ensure that they're not hacked? Because if you haven't heard, people think that our machines are hacked. Uh, so one thing we're trying to do is we're, we're looking at machines, a sampling of machines that are used in the elections, and we're building out timelines for them, complete timelines, soup to nuts. We bought the machine. We tested the machine. We took it to the warehouse. It sat in the warehouse. We programmed the machine. We sent it to the location. It stayed in the location. Day one, it had zero votes. Day two, so on and so forth. And it gets down to even at the end of the election, we have a, a great process in in Texas, a partial manual count, where we actually test some of the machines after the election. We say, here are the ballots. Let's count them by hand. Let's count a sample of them. And let's make sure those numbers match. Uh, and we're really trying to, in our audit, when we issue our report, we're going to lay that stuff out so the public can know, here's where it is. Here's what they should be doing. In some cases, they're missing a record in the middle. Mm, that's not good. What happened there? Uh, our counties <coughs> continue to get better the more scrutiny we put on them, just the fact that we are saying, hey, you might get audited, uh, you know, that makes people keep their records a little better because they know someone's looking at their work. Um, so lots of challenges. It's fun. Uh, it's important work. Uh, and I think it's really hopefully driving uh, some of the numbers we've seen that are we, we don't have faith in our election. My goal is to take that number and make it where we have more faith in them. Chad, very interesting. And during the Q&A, I want to pick up on another aspect of your new job, and that is the legal requirements from the state and federal level, because I think that would be important for people to think through. Sure. Hans? Uh, well, I want to thank my fellow panelists for coming all the way from Texas for this. I uh, appreciate you being here since you're in the heart of, of this. Um, Heritage published a paper not too long ago on coming up with standards uh, for auditing elections. And what you all need to understand, as Kali mentioned, is um, audits are just, like I said, ubiquitous <clears throat> in the business world. And because of that, um, there are uh, generally accepted auditing standards and generally accepted accounting uh, practices that have been uh, put together by all of the uh, associations, individuals that engage in these kind of auditings. And those set out the standards that auditors have to, to have to meet to make sure they are objective, experienced, know what they're doing, but then also the accounting principles are what they look at when they examine a company, uh, a charity, and its active business activities and its uh, finances. Uh, there's nothing like that in the election area, and the reason is is that almost no one <coughs> has, has been conducting election audits which is a real failure in the election area. Um, now, ever since the 2020 election, there's been a lot of discussion about audits. And they're referred to in all different ways. You know, we use the term forensic audits, but there doesn't seem to be any agreement <laughs> on what exactly that means. Now, conducting a hand recount is not an audit. And yet I've heard it referred to as that. And what we're talking about is not the kind of limited audits that have been, been done. You know, there are audits where they simply look at the equipment used to make sure it was uh, uh, functioning properly. There are process audits where they look at the procedures that administrators use to make sure they were following those procedures in handling voters and voter registration. Um, there are legal compliance audits <clears throat> where they are looking at and making sure that uh, election officials complied with all applicable state and federal laws. Those are all piecemeal audits. What needs to be done, what we believe needs to be done, are comprehensive, in-depth audits that look at what was going on before the election, during the election, and after the election. I mean, and I, let me give you an example of what I mean. Um, if you do a hand recount of a, a particular uh, election, and let's say the margin of victory was 1,000 uh, votes. Well, doing a hand recount, you may recount it, and yep, margin of, 
of uh, victory was 1,000 votes. Um, the ballots were properly counted by the machines. But simply doing a recount doesn't tell you whether the ballots cast in that election were valid. And if, for example, as our election fraud database um, shows, uh, there were 1,001 people who voted in that election who don't actually live in the state of Texas. They actually live in Oklahoma. But they got falsely registered to vote there, then uh, you're not going to turn that up with a simple recount. What you should have done and need to do is a uh, comprehensive audit of the voter registration list, and in particular, where, whether election officials prior to the election we're taking all the steps necessary to make sure that it is an accurate list. They were verifying that the person who registered actually legally resides uh, in, in the jurisdiction where they're voting, whether they're actually a citizen, whether uh, they are not a felon, perhaps, whose uh, ability to vote has been uh, taken away. It's a whole series of things like that. Uh, how often have they checked, and did they do this right before the election, do they compare the voter registration list with the Social Security Administration's master death index to find individuals who have died before the election? Again, anyone who thinks that's not a problem, we just added two uh, uh, election fraud cases to our database of individuals who cast ballots in the names of their deceased mothers. But that's the kind of thing you have to look at. Um, and it is not. You know, I've heard uh, some election officials uh, who think this is not a good idea, it shouldn't happen, and I think they're just wrong. Uh, because what we're trying to do in this situation is make sure the entire system was working properly. And as Senator Betancourt says, find problems so we can fix them. But what's got to happen is states not only need to start doing this, but they've got to start developing the standards and principles uh, if you look at our paper, we've got 18 different areas that we think uh, audits ought to look at through the entire election process. And I'll give you just a quick example of how I think this not only can fix problems, but um, can inspire greater public confidence in the elections. And that's something we all want to achieve is, uh, look, in 2021, there was a, an audit done in New Hampshire, Wyndham, New Hampshire because there were some claims that uh, the, the vote count had not been properly done. So they did an in-depth audit. Um, they hand recounted the ballots. And in fact, they found there was a 499 vote discrepancy. This is a small uh, election state, state representative between the hand recount and the machine totals. The audit uncovered that the, this is a jurisdiction where they fill out, you fill out paper ballots like so many folks do, and then it's scanned. They have a computer scanner to count it. Uh, well, what they discovered was that um, election officials were using a folding machine. In other words, when someone requested an absentee ballot, they had a machine that folded the ballot so it could go into an envelope and be mailed to the voter. Well, the machine was folding the absentee ballot, not in between people's candidates' names the way it was supposed to, but in many occasions, it was creating the fold in the middle of the candidate's name. And so when the voters sent back the completed ballot, the computer scanner was misreading the ballot. In instances where the line, the fold line, had gone through the candidate's name, it would read it as a vote. And that would often lead to overvotes, which would void the ballot. Now. The 499 vote discrepancy did not change the outcome of that particular election. But the point of that audit was that uh, they discovered the problem and could fix it and make sure it didn't happen in a future election where it might have made the difference in the election. So uh, the opposition that I see uh, from some folks on this is just totally misguided. And, and I will tell you, uh, if the shareholders of General Motors um, were told that General Motors uh, officers and corporate officials think that financial audits just aren't needed, that we, we, everyone should just trust that we never do anything wrong, we do things right, there would be an uprising 
And that is the way I think the public should look at this issue, too. Well, in addition to an SEC and other investigations. Exactly right. Yeah. right. Um, before I pepper you guys with some questions, how can folks find our voter fraud database? Uh, if you go to the website of the Heritage Foundation, uh, it's, it's easily available on the first page, page and uh, it's a great... Uh, it's a great web page. It's proven cases of fraud. So these are not allegations. These are folks who either been found guilty in a court of law or a judge has ordered a new election. And we're up to almost 1,400 cases, and we're following, I think, upwards of another 100 prosecutions going on around the country. And if I could add, Kelly, to this, it's important about the, the margin of victory, and especially in these state rep races around the, uh, around the country. 499 votes may not have made a difference in New Hampshire, but in Harris County, which is the size of the 26th largest state of the, uh, the, in the U.S., we've had state reps, and two years ago, one by 47, one by 114. Uh, it, there was a guy named uh, Mike Jackson who won by seven votes, and after recount, he won by five. That's why they called him Landslide Mike. Um, now... So, so when you get problems and you don't take care of them, eventually you can change the difference in the, especially these district races uh, from coast to coast. You had compared Harris County to a, a much smaller county in terms of population. Um, what is your viewpoint regarding um, whether there should be national auditing standards developed or whether there should be a county by county or state by state, or do you have an opinion on that? I think national would be really hard uh, simply because of the many ways that we vote in this country. I mean, Oregon is all mail-in ballots, or and they universal mail out the ballots and they come back in. That is a totally different system than what we have in Texas, where you have to apply for a mail-in ballot, you have to have a reason for a mail-in ballot, and it should be very limited that we mostly vote in person. So if you... I think you need to recognize that we're, we're federalism, federal. So, you know, we, I think different states need different standards. Uh, and even in Texas, I think it's, it's hard to, to say because the counties are, are not the same. With my next round of audits that will start here after the election, we've got Eastland County, which is a very small county. And, and we've got Harris County, which is a very large county. Uh, and we've got a border county, which is much different than Harris County, much different than Eastland County. So I like that the election administrators in Texas can uh, come up with policies and procedures that fit their counties, uh, being that we're so diverse. And I don't want to I don't want to mess that up by mandating things from the state. Uh, but there are certain minimums, and there are certain minimums you got to keep, and right. we can set the minimums. And uh, but we just hopefully we set it in a way where everyone doesn't race to the minimum and not do the extra. If I could, uh, let me add some Uncle Paul's top-down guidelines to this discussion, because I think you can do some top-down guidelines, which is really, if you look at GAP, that's how it started. It's more voluminous now, but, you know. GAP are generally accepted accounting principles. principles. Right. Yeah. But, um, you know, incorrect reporting of daily results during early voting. That's what actually Harris County did, and that started a letter that was just sent and received uh, from the forensic audit uh, group at the Secretary of State. You know, singular polls saying open much later than other polls. Electronic poll books providing incorrect and complete information. Lack of chain of custody documentation for live ballots. Um, this is so big in this, in this letter that he sent out that it affects probably at least 140,000 votes cast out of Harris County because there were 14 um, mobile ballot boxes that the chain of custody broke down on completely, um, and that's a huge problem. Um, you, know, uh, uh, you know, poll workers not qualifying voters adequately, and the, the comment I made earlier, you know, simple red flags of fraud, which does exist outside of voter irregularities, because what I listed earlier was voter irregularities, but if you have more votes in a precinct than voters in a, uh, that are registered in a precinct, you got a problem. Right. So recognize it. Hans, do you agree with Chad's answer to the, should there be national or local standards? Uh, I, I agree that there ought to be national minimums, but those all have to be customized according to the state because the, you know, we, we are the most decentralized. Uh, election system of any of the Western democracies, and our our elections are run by the states. 
rules are different in every state, and so they have to be customized. But, but for example, remember, there's, there's also uh, generally accepted auditing standards that govern the auditors that say right. they have to exercise independent judgment. They have to be experienced. That I think we can come up with. There we can come up with national standards. What, what are the standards that the persons use for, audit, for auditing ought to meet? But when it comes to looking at the actual uh, election process, the, the registering of voters, the voting, the tabulation, yeah, there it's, it's going to have to be customized. So, so that brings up a point you made in your paper. It's the who does it and the how often does it. And I want to bring the three of you into that because you make the fox and the hen house observation. You can't have people who are conducting it audit themselves because that won't lend uh, credibility or confidence to the voters that the people running the election are the ones auditing themselves. Share your thoughts on the who should do the auditing and how often. We'll start with you, Senator, and just work yeah. my way down the line. Well, um, from a policymaker perspective, we started with the concept that it would be better to have a professional core do the audit to start with, which in this case is Secretary of State Forensic Audit Division. The reason why we did it, Cully, is that you have to have some professional, you know, uh, you know, acumen to uh, Hans's point that you even know what you're looking at. Uh, because if you hired a third-party accounting firm to do an audit, they, they don't really understand the regs and the laws, and especially whether they're violating federal and state, uh, state code. So uh, we decided that it would be better to start that division, and he's got four people with extensive experience. I'm, I'm happy to be, you know, one of the few ex-election administrators that made it to, into a legislative position. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that background is unusual, but it's also unusual they even have experienced people doing these audits. And when we first started this audit bill discussion, uh, one of the first questions was, well, was this an Arizona style or is it a specific way of doing things? And it's, and it's different because the important thing is you've got to get that core function of audit, not be the people that are actually doing the work, but that have done the same type of work. Mm -hmm because otherwise you don't get people that can recognize the obvious. Because if you don't know what needs to be fixed or, or what the measurement is, you can't do it. Chad, and if you could layer in the state and federal law piece too, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think uh, Senator Bentcourt hit on something really uh, important. It was really important to me to get on staff some former elections administrators in Texas and former election officials uh, that have been in counties doing this stuff because I will tell you, it is real easy to get some of this data in and get the wrong idea really quickly uh, and come to wrong conclusions. And it's been so important to have that core uh, or down there that I can say, hey, hey, Carla, you know, have you seen this in your county before? What's going on here? Oh, yeah, Chad, it's this. And I, oh, okay, fine. Uh, so that's been so important to us. And I think that, as Hans said, you know, some standards on who we need on our, on our teams uh, is super important. And, and I think uh, going, and I want to go back to something uh, Senator Betancourt said actually when he, when he had his piece of paper out. I think one of our biggest problems for election integrity and from what we're seeing is that a lot of our election administrators are back in a 2016 mindset where before kind of we got the scrutiny on elections and we see them, we have deadlines built into the code. You have to have this posted on the internet by seven o'clock or eight o'clock. And you see they get, oh no, we'll just post the data online. Well, that's bad data. And then you've posted online and what do we know? If it's online, it's online forever and it's wrong. And we see this a lot where we have bad data out there and then the real data I will get eventually, but the bad data is out there. And, and I think election administrators have been uh, chastised enough by their grassroots, deservedly, and they're realizing, wait, we can't put this out. We got to get it right, and and that's been a big thing without the audits, even that that the grassroots has shown us. Uh, Hans, and then back to the senator. Well, I I agree with all that. Obviously, if you're if you're doing a, conducting an audit of Smith, a, alias Smith County, you can't have the people who run elections in Alias Smith County auditing themselves. So you've got to have a core of, of folks, but they've got to have election experience. The, the big 
problem in this area right now, which is not a problem in the business area, is because audits in the business area have been done for so long and are so standard, there's a whole huge group of auditors out there, experienced auditors, independent auditors that can be hired by companies and organizations to do their audits, uh, and there's no such, there's nothing like that. But if states start um, requiring the kind of audits that we're all talking about, uh, that, that industry is quickly going to establish itself because all of these election officials, experienced people around the country as they start to retire or leave what they're doing, they're all going to, if there's a business opportunity there, they're going to start these kind of auditing firms, which means that uh, hopefully um, state offices like Chad's will uh, eventually have a, a group of folks out there in the private field who they can pull in on their teams to help them with these audits, but who have the kind of experience they want as election officials. You know, if, if Senator Bencourt ever leaves the Senate, see, he'd be the perfect kind of guy for doing <laughs> these kind of audits. enough. I've got too many jobs. Kelly, <laughs> <laughs> Kel you made a good point about the, about the legal requirements and asking Chad about this. He had to release a letter this week that he probably can't talk about, but I will. But it's to tell the largest county in Texas, Harris County, effectively follow the law. Because you've got to keep these records for 22 months. Okay, and that's been, you know, part of federal and uh, state law for quite some time. It's kind of settled law, but they didn't keep it. In fact, the previous election administrator, the one that's now, um, wouldn't even have his people talk to the the state audit team, or she wouldn't. And and the important part of that discussion was they couldn't even replicate the software that actually read these 14 missing mobile ballot boxes just two years later. Now, so this is a big warning shot that says, don't do it again. Um, and, uh, and it's backed up by sending additional election administrators and, and, and people embedded with the attorney general if necessary. The problem we're in right now is that there's so many questions about voting and election equipment. Some people aren't sure if you had a DRE, just electronic only. What's a DRE? Um, a, a direct recording equipment, okay? We now, most places have a hybrid where you have a paper ballot and a direct recorder. That's what we use in Texas. That's why the hand count is not really an audit, okay, if, if everything goes well. but. But even then, you have to have the ability to go back and say, you know, I followed these uh, these electronic uh, boards effectively from the where in the poll all the way to central count. There's no break in the chain of custody, because again, what Harris County did was 14 of these MMBs. What's an MMB? Mobile ballot boxes that have, by my estimation, probably a conservative 140,000 votes on it then there's no chain of custody documentation. And I'm not even sure that they're the same serial numbers that started at the polling place that made it the central count. Now, this means it's not best practices. At minimum, it has to be fixed. So it was, I think, a very good step to say, don't do it. That's really what the letter started out saying with the new elections administrator. Uh, and, uh, and, but, there's a lot of recalcitrance responses, like they, the same county got selected randomly for another audit, two out of 20, so they had a 10% chance. They filed a suit, said the randomness is obviously, you know, set up, the, and they literally went to the state, uh, the state court. I'm not making this up, okay? So, all right, um, so now that we know that they had a terrible chain of custody problem in 2020, I call on them to withdraw their suit, have the commissioner's court pull that down. There's no reason to have a lawsuit when you can't even operate under state and federal code and you're saying that I'm, I'm being unfairly treated by a random audit. It's time for everybody to put their cards on the table, get the problem measured, and then get it fixed. Let me start with you about a different question, Hans. I have two more before I open it up to the audience. Um, <clears throat> years ago when you uh, were writing about the common sense idea that people should have an ID when they vote, the critics were saying, oh, that's vote suppressor, it's racist, and it's going to drive down the number of people who have access 
uh, and won't and it won't vote. In fact, the opposite has happened. Right. We've seen that people come out in droves now. Um, when you wrote this paper, uh, what have been the major criticisms, and what's your response to that in terms of whether this will make people not want to vote or increase people's confidence in the vote once it's been audited? Well, there have been some, some critics, I think, misinformed, saying that audits are going to somehow um, uh, increase, the, increase the lack of confidence that uh, polling shows a lot of voters have in elections. I think the exact opposite is true. You know, um, if, you, if you do an audit and it comes out totally clean, what could be better that for the confidence of the public in that area uh, in the election? And if it comes out and, and it points out problems like what happened in the Wyndham, New Hampshire thing I was talking about, one, the audit showed it didn't affect the election. But second, it showed the public that they had found a problem and they fixed it. So get and rid of that folding machine. Yeah. Or yeah. make the folding machine work right. Right. So people know, well, in the next election, I don't have, that's not going to be a problem. So in fact, I, I think it's going to increase confidence in the election process. Um, just very quickly, one thing we didn't really answer uh, was your question about um, how often and when they should be done. How many counties is Texas at? 254. Yeah, sorry, 54. Steal, it, steal my answer. I knew no, that one. No, sorry. It's it is. Answer. That's good. See, we've audited ourselves. Right? Yeah. And there's a lot of counties that have, a lot of states that have also very large numbers of counties. It, it's impractical. There's no way that you could audit every single county after every election. You just can't do it. And so what I think states have to come up with is a system where as I think Texas did, you have, to, you have to audit a certain number of counties randomly chosen after every election. And the best thing I think to do is to come up with a system, figure out what's practical. How many counties can you audit after an election? Uh, and then come up with a system to ensure that every county in the state is audited at least once every, I don't know, three years, five years, whatever, from a practical standpoint, you can get it done. In Texas, that might be even, <laughs> even, even that would be good difficult. Good news, Chad's budget just quadrupled. Yeah, okay, right, right. right. <laughs> okay, that's right. But to become a bureaucrat yeah, and it's yeah, expanding right, yeah, that's right away. Well, and to Hans's point, this is a, 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 a fulcrum position you have to pick as a policymaker because right. we started off with urban counties having much higher ratio than rural counties or suburban counties. And that's important because that's a there's a you look for where the votes are and then you try to allocate your resources. Um, but w with all of this, you have to recognize the obvious that you do want to have those audits done. And the difference in the legislation and planning and filing in the future is besides these random audits, we're going to have effectively audits based upon merit, a request that really has been vetted not only at the local level, but at the sec secretary of state level, that if there's an issue that's <clears> not being responded to, like why are there 579 registered voters at one house in Wichita Falls, okay, then if you can't get an answer, then it's time to go in and do an audit of that one, you know, precinct. It may not be the audit of the entire role. And let, that's let, how you spread your resources around. Let me, let me pick up on a comment that was made just a few minutes ago. As a businessman, I'm just used to my company being audited every year. And I count on a clean audit because then it gives confidence to the shareholders. And every business person watching this is like, well, of course, obviously, no duh, right? Uh, but voting is, by definition, a political act. Not in the pejorative term, but it's just a political act. It's an, an expression of your First Amendment rights to choose sure. who's going to represent you. How do we, to the extent practicable, depoliticize audits? So, for example, I'm sure there are people watching this that are going to say, oh, this is a Republican state, and these are Republicans who are trying to audit and kick Democrats out or people who should be allowed to vote to vote. And similarly, if there was an audit in Chicago of the votes, some Republicans, others may say, well, we can't trust that because this is the fox guarding the hen house. How do we convince both sides that they're wrong and move it to the point where business people look at their audit as just this is just part of the business of being in the business and here it'd be in the business of voting 
and increasing the confidence of everyone around the country that the vote is the vote and it was done right. I think, you know, right now it's pretty clear that the, the Republican side is the one demanding audits and are, are mad. If you look back to 2016, who was thinking the election was stolen? It was the Democrats. Or 2000. 2000. In, in 2000, right. 2000, 2000, 2000. 2000, 2016. In 2016, you actually see a very big bump. Uh, there's one poll I saw that 70% of, of all Americans in 2016 thought the election lacked honesty. That's a staggering number, and that's bipartisan. So I think what's going to happen is that the, the pendulum needs to swing, and both sides need to go through a round of losses, and then I think everyone will come around to it because it, it's, it's something that needs to be done. You know, whether you're a left or right, center, whatever, you want a fair process. And, you know, at, at this point, you know, when you win, you're always happy. Oh, that was a perfect election. That was great. But when you lose, then it's like, well, maybe it wasn't so perfect. So I think it's going to take a little bit of swinging in elections before we get everyone on board. Have, do you hire any Democrats in your office, or do you even care I, what party they're I part of? I don't care. I have no idea what the uh, political persuasion of uh, any of my employees are. And, I, and w what's interesting is when when people come to me and talk about what, what we do, they always come to me and, uh, how many votes are you finding? Votes and votes and votes. We never say the word vote around the office. We're looking at ballots. And when I'm talking about reconciliation between how many people showed up and how many, I'm talking about ballots. And so whatever the votes are, what the votes are, but from an auditing perspective, you're all about ballots. You're, and you're I not assume, about votes. I assume, I don't know, that you plan to be as transparent as you can and put things out there for the public to see. The, the, bogue, the, 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 the messed up folding machine that you find in one county or something else, right? Yes, when we when we issue our report, we're going to have the background ad nauseum. It's probably going to be too much background in layers. I we actually my IT made me do this the other day, uh, and we looked how much data I actually have from the four counties I'm auditing right now, and it's over half a terabyte. Yeah. It was closer to 600. Uh, what are, those are gigabytes. Yeah. Right. So the amount of of data. So I think part of it, my job is going to be how do I get the key documents out there for everyone to look at without gumming up the system with, you know, extra. <laughs> Focus on the depolitization question. I just did this interview this morning back to Houston, okay, because it was the exact same question. And what everybody's got to understand, that this is sunshine. What an audit is is sunshine. It's transparency. And if you see it, you can believe it. Now, for example, he's sending in elections, uh, 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 you know, uh, personnel into Harris County, uh, but we've had election inspectors in every major urban county, whether they've been Republican-controlled or Democrat-controlled, for as long as I can remember, because I actually had, I did that job uh, back in the 1990s. But right now it's an affront, because everything's an affront. If you're being audited, oh, it's an affront. Well, no, it's just the search for truth. But importantly, it's a way for good best practices to be propagated to other places and mistakes to be corrected for the future election. And we've got to get out of this situation where we are now in politics of you can't ask a question. Because right now, it's, the froth is so high that you can't ask a question about election procedure without being somebody taking offense either from the left or the right. And, but, but the bottom line is questions are good, answers are better, results are what matters. That's really what audits are. And, and uh, it's gonna take, Kelly, it's gonna, it's gonna be a real reprogramming of the body electorate because the real problem is this. Everything moves so at instantaneous light speed now. And, and it's more easy to criticize than it is to agree. And, and we have to change this in elections. So my challenge, is to do that, okay, with the audit bill presentations that I'm making. And I've had people come up and say, I would agree with you, except I'm, I'm not your political party. I said, well, how about just agreeing with the concept? And so it's going to take a lot of effort to get past it. I suspect, Chad, and I don't know, that over time, once this takes root and you start institutionalizing best practices, et cetera, you're going to share those best practices with any state that asks, number one. Number two, you're going to uncover things that cut both ways politically. And I think over time that will drive up confidence on both sides of the aisle, at least 
in a utopian way, hopefully. Yeah, I think so. The data is what the data is, and right. it's going to cut both ways. Uh, you know, cheating is not, or, or mistakes, cheating and mistakes are not, not by, are not partisan. They happen both ways. They're human. They're well, human. we have <laughs> examples in our voter fraud database of Republicans cheating, Democrats cheating, Independents cheating. Right. And these are all convictions right. in a court of law around the country. Hans, right. let me uh, turn to you with a depolitization question, and then we're going to leave the last 10 minutes for audience questions. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, I think this, the key to that is the reason that uh, uh, we published that paper at the Heritage Foundation is you have to develop, this is, this is a totally untested area because it just hasn't been done, and what you do is you develop professional standards, professional principles that I think it's hard to disagree with on a, some kind of partisan basis. And then you put together the kind of professional staffs that Chad has put together to uh, enforce and follow those standards and principles. And when you're doing that, I think it's pretty hard for somebody to claim that you're somehow acting in a I want, political I want to emphasize manner. one thing that Hans did in his paper and what, what we've talked about here. Voter ID was extremely controversial. When I came here in 2006 to testify, the House Administration Committee filled up like that and because it was a flashpoint. Now, everybody knows that photo ID does not stop turnout. In fact, there's no case in the United States that I know of where a state that's adopted it has had problems with turnout. And in fact, in Texas, we're expecting a record turnout of approximately 10 million people, which is astonishing and it's great news. It means the democracy is healthy whether it, they, the democracy itself realizes it, okay? Because it's a political act, as you said before, so people get a choice. This audit, the um, situation is the same thing. In the future, it's going to be commonplace and everybody's going to agree with it. But it's going to take time to get there. Any final words before I turn it over to the audience? One thing I, I think, what I've seen is we've gotten into this process and now we've started with four and we're going to have four more and talking to these election administrators that there's some reticence at first, but then once we talk and have our initial meeting, it's usually like, and this is the, the, my chance as an election administrator to show I'm doing things right. And I may make mistakes. You're going to find it. Uh, and if we we made a mistake, we'll own it. But this is an opportunity. Uh, the audit is an opportunity to show that, you know, I, as the election administrator, I do a pretty good job. And I can tell my commissioner's court and my voters that, hey, in this county, you can be happy uh, and, and respect the results of the election. And you so. have a website. People can go to it. How can they get there to your website? Uh, it's on the Secretary of State's website. There's a little little link there. Uh, says to the forensic audit divisions under elections, uh, and so. there'll be a, people will be able, over time will be able to find all sorts of stuff. Yes, it's it's pretty pretty sparse now, but we're getting there. Right. Uh, Good. All right. So this is your chance to ask any of these three experts a question, and my only request and demand is that you actually ask a question, uh, not speechify. Uh, because I'm, as a former judge, can just cut you off if you do that. <laughs> uh, so raise your hand. Out of between a judge and a, and a federal prosecutor, I'm in trouble. Help me. Uh, if anyone, <laughs> okay. the gentleman in the front, hold on. We're going to bring a microphone so that the people online can hear your question. I know you've been very nice about saying this happens on both sides. Um, from watching television in the last election, I got the impression it was pretty heavily on one side, not both sides equal. Uh, so this kind of symmetry you're talking about, is that really uh, uh, the case, or are you just saying that to kind of help be political and get this through the process? Well, I, I don't know which, which, you know which one of us said that exactly, but look, the fact of the matter is uh, he's got uh, prosecutions documented of multiple parties, okay? And, and people make stupid mistakes, and they do stuff like this, in every state in the union. The question is, what do you do about it? What I'm trying to do is make it clear, like in my audit bill, I started before the election of 2020 asking questions in October when the vote totals didn't match. So it wasn't because of uh, President Trump's election, because he actually won Texas, it didn't matter. There was already a problem. So we're gonna recognize it. Um, Look, and I'm also, I, I made the mistake, somebody thought it was a mistake when I first got elected to assessor. I went to Commissioner's Court and said, I want a performance audit because I came from business. And everybody said, you're crazy. That's always a bad thing for anybody to get done as an audit. It turned out to be a great roadmap to modernize an office that was stuck in the 19th century, okay? 
And then we became the first county to have online tax payments, online vehicle registration, et cetera. So when I say that right now, I'm, I'm stuck in a problem where in, in Harris County, there were Republicans like me that used to be in charge of elections. Now there's not. But we can't ask questions without it being a, almost a national news story that, we're, that's a, that this is a denier. So I'm trying to recognize the obvious and say, this will eventually be both sides will agree this is the right thing to do. But, but the vote on the audit bills was 100% partisan. And I actually even lost one Republican um, because they, did, they thought it was an unfunded mandate. Now, but recognize the obvious, what gets measured gets fixed. Question here in the front. Thank you. Excellent panel on an incredibly important topic. Uh, Hans, your paper touches on the fact that there are lots of different kinds and forms of audits. Right. Uh, one of the ones which has caught in fire recently is uh, risk limiting audit. There are lots of states that have deployed this either in full or as a pilot program. Can you all talk about your views on risk limiting audits? Are they sufficient in the election context to solve the issues that you guys are talking about? Do you need to do more? Are there limits to risk limiting audits? Uh, no pun intended. And, and Jason <laughs> Sneed's question requires you to tell people what that is first, and then explain your answer. What is a you risk limiting audit? You want to start with that? So risk limiting audits are a, a specific type of audit that are kind of triggered by statistics, and, right. and how deep you go into the audit is a function of how close the race is. Um, and I think they're a good tool. We have them in Texas. We've got a pilot program going right now. Is it six counties? I yes, can't remember. Right, I right. think it's six counties. Right. Uh, and then after 2026, I think it goes statewide. Right, right. Uh, so we're going to be doing that. I think it's a different tool. Uh, it will tell you it's, it's more, it's closer to a recount uh, than what I'm doing, which is a more comprehensive dive into the records. So it's a tool. I think it's a useful tool. I think we'll see here... Um, you know, hopefully in a couple months uh, with our pilot program, how good of a tool it is. Uh, so, we have three minutes left. So, quick answer, quick answer, and perhaps another another question. Narrow tool, okay. And and what forensic audit does that gets you the problems, the tough ones to solve. That's why you need to have that as an option. Uh. Again, a risk limiting audit. It may tell you that um, the votes are being properly counted in one of the random precincts. Uh, chosen, but it doesn't tell you whether those votes were cast by individuals who were eligible to vote, for example. All right. Uh, one question here in the front, right here. Uh, hi there. Let's uh, talk about enforcement a little bit. So it, it's one thing to have transparency and sunlight. Uh, but let's take the example of the anonymous county you had to write a letter to. Uh, let's say that that recalcitrance continues. Uh, you have commissioners who are not willing to abide by the procedures you're setting or who routinely are audited and found wanting. You're in the Secretary of State. You're not in the AG's office. What, what kind of enforcement mechanisms exist to overcome either recalcitrance or just continual failure? Well, we have sunshine, and I think that that does a lot. Shame does a lot, uh, and and we have that. But our tools, I think, I'll, I'll let maybe let him preview the next session on on tools. <laughs> well, and that's exactly why you do have to have a, be able to take things either to a civil penalty or to a criminal penalty. Now, in the bill that we're going to come back with, there will be civil penalties for violation of the law as determined by Secretary of State. There's also criminal prosecution in Texas. That's a DA by county by county uh, decision right now. So the question will be whether or not to have that in either an alternate form or surrounding counties or statewide, et cetera. But you're right. You, I think one of the important pro points is uh, some people are unwilling to respond. Some people are unable to respond. Now, you can fix some of this, but if they are unwilling to respond, then you have to be able to either fine them, and that was in my bill, because, uh, and it's going to be in that bill again, and we'll have some also more enhanced uh, ability to do more prosecution. I, I hate to say that, but 
there's just no reason for, as an election administrator, than my experience, if you're either going to follow state and federal law or you're not. It's real simple. And, and if you've made a mistake, just fix it, get it done, and move on. And that's what we need to see more of. And we shouldn't be afraid of the fact that, yes, you know, if, you, if you're not violating, uh, if you're violating the law, you're going you're gonna to have consequences for it. We've already passed one bill that if you don't clean up the voter roll, that was one of mine, Senate Bill 1113, uh, the Secretary of State can withhold your money on, on voter roll cleanup because we're trying to enforce good uh, business behavior or best practices, which is clean up the voter roll. All right. Well, Hans, just, let me just, give you the just, last word. Just one quick thing on this. Um, <clears throat> I certainly agree with that, but one of the other things that I think states need to look at, and it's something we talk about in the paper, is uh, you have to put in an enforcement mechanism so that the election officials in a particular county will cooperate with the auditors and provide them with data and information documents, whatever. And if they don't do that, then you've got to have some kind of uh, either administrative fines system or even possible suspension or termination of employment because they've got to cooperate with the auditors. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion, and please join me in thanking our panelists. We're adjourned. <laughs>